quick. God, we just, uh, we're grateful to be here tonight to uh, dig into your word and just to see um, uh, what you have for us. Can we pray? Um, as, as we see the importance of knowing truth in, in this series of why I believe and, and knowing those things, God, may we, uh, um, may we be challenged in our faith to, to, to just to grapple with these questions and to, to understand and to know what we believe and to have that firm foundation of our belief. Um, so we, we're challenged with these different worldviews and these different um, thoughts and, and teachings that's opposed to your word. God, may we know what's truth. May we be able to stand firm and be able to give um, a good reason for what we believe. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Let me, I got to get to here. All right, so we are on this series called Why I Believe, which is asking questions. We're looking at, at statements of, of faith that we as Christians should know and believe, and um, that's kind of where we've been. We looked at the Bible, how we know the Bible is true. You remember that? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, because what, what, what? Yeah, that was last week. Um, Anyways, you can listen to it online still, you heathen. First week, remember what the first week was? Jesus' resurrection. That's correct. And then, and then we had the Bible tonight is creation. And so maybe you've heard the phrases, I believe in science, not fairy tales. Or I live by facts, not faith. Or science flies you to the moon, religion flies you into buildings. Maybe you've heard some of these phrases. Um, skeptics frequently paint Christians as uneducated, ignorant, and even dangerous because we supposedly reject, reject the tenets of, of modern science. And according to many skeptics, science has undermined the need for God. But this cannot be further from the truth. Uh, to the contrary, science gives us great reasons uh, to believe that there is a God who created the entire universe, including each one of us. In fact, the more we discover about the natural world, the more we realize that Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 is true. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's evidence for a designer. From the smallest DNA strand to the vast universe filled with countless galaxies. So we're going to consider three scientific findings that confirm the existence of a creator. So we're going to talk a lot of science things tonight. Patrick, isn't that what you teach, right? Yeah, so you can... Patrick's going to teach tonight. He doesn't know it, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to maybe, eventually maybe can clarify some things if it gets a little heady. Because there's some things we're going to talk about tonight that's kind of some abstract concepts and some things that may be kind of hard. Um, but hopefully I, we can try to get to it in a way that you can understand and... And, you know, not like have your head hurt kind of a thing. So the first thing we're going to look at is something called cosmology. What is cosmology? Anybody know? The study of the cosmos. Yeah, because ology, see that word ology? That's used the study of. Huh? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, no. Um. 
It's the cosmos of the universe. Before we see how the cosmos points to the existence of God, we're going to talk about something called a logical syllogism. Again, I'm Tony. I'm giving you guys lots of big words, and I'm sorry a little bit, but I think you guys can handle it. Um, I know, but you're smart. I want to cover. All right, a logical syllogism. Like here, number one, men are mortal. Correct? We know this. Men are mortal. Men will die. Number two, Socrates is a man. So therefore, Socrates is mortal. Look at you. I knew it. I knew you guys could do it. I knew it. Simple, right? Okay. So if all men are mortal and Socrates is a man, then he must be mortal. That the conclusion necessarily follows from the premises, right? The same kind of syllogism is used in, the, in an argument for the existence of God called the cosmological argument. And it goes something like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. So therefore, the universe has a cause. We're going to kind of break those three things down I hope you can understand this just a little bit. So, whatever begins to exist has a cause. This statement should be obvious. Things just don't come into existence uncaused for no reason. If they do, then why don't we see this happening all the time, right? Like, why doesn't a new car just magically appear in my driveway? Or money just appear in my wallet, which would be fantastic. Or maybe that one friend of yours who... You know, smells really bad. Maybe I've been always that way. But, uh, you know, there was a cause that caused this foul smell. And effects always have causes, right? That's how the universe works. It's how science is possible. It certainly makes sense to believe our first premise. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. We're going to get the second premise. That the universe began to exist. According to modern cosmology, not cosmetology, the universe has not been here forever, but came into existence at some point of time in the past. We won't argue about how old the universe is. That's not the point of tonight. It's just that it's not eternal. And there are good reasons to think that this is true from science and philosophy. Hi, McKenna. Everybody say hi to McKenna. Yeah. So, we're going to get some things, some, some scientific evidence real quick. Like you have something called the Big Bang Cosmology. Nearly a 20th century scientists discovered that the universe was expanding, that stars, planets, and entire galaxies were moving away from each other in every direction as if they came from an explosion. If you had the ability to, to press rewind, you would witness the entire universe kind of collapsing into itself. You would reach a very first moment in time. Before that, there is literally no space, time, or matter. You can't really use the word before since there really was no time. From that moment, if you push play, you would witness the entire universe exploding into existence in what is known as the Big Bang, right? So how many of you guys have heard of the Big Bang? Okay. Um, do you guys remember like a month ago that, that James Webb Space Telescope that came out with some really cool pictures of the universe? Y'all need to get out more or what? Come on. Man, one of my favorite places here in town got robbed. They dug a hole through the ceiling like the Bible story 
instead of lowering their friend in, they got a safe full of $15,000 up and out of the thing. Yeah, Taqueria Jalisco over there on Briarwood. All right, anyways, this happened. But the Big Bang Theory, okay, this is what people believe to be truth. But they have that James Webb Space Telescope. And just, you know, they, they have some really, just, you guys, I mean, when you go home, don't do it now because I need you to pay attention to Bible study except for here for. When you go home, look up James Webb Space Telescope and the pictures. That they're just, they're incredible what the universe looks like out there beyond us. I was reading an article just last week about how when they looked at it, and they, they've seen these photos that there's evidence that the universe is actually not expanding. It's not like pushing out like the Big Bang Theory would have us to believe. So that James Webb Space Telescope is in a way disproving the whole Big Bang Theory all along. Not, that, not a chance explosion, but it was created by a creator. You have something called the second law of thermodynamics. And I know you guys know all about so we're just going to talk about it briefly because I know you guys say this all the time. This is the second piece of evidence that the universe began to exist as the second law of thermodynamics, which says that the universe is running out of usable energy. Once it does, the universe will be cold and lifeless, known as the heat death of the universe. But to understand this, think of a car ga with, with gas on the tank. Okay? And we have like one of you guys that can drive. Okay? That's fine. You get it. So you have your car in your driveway. And maybe it's you know, really cold here. It's like 30 degrees. People are freaking out because it's cold at 30 degrees, right? And so you, any of your cars have like the automatic starter on your cars, like your parents' cars, where it can start and it can get warmed up for you because you're a bunch of sissies. You can't sit in the cold for five minutes from your car, from your house to the school. Anyways, you start the car up so it'll be either hot or cold for them. If you just left it there, what's going to happen? It's going to run out of gas, right? There's only so much gas in the gas tank. And when it idles, it's going to run out of gas. Now, if the universe did not have a beginning meaning it has been here forever, then, then it should have run out of energy by now, right? It, it literally would have run out of energy forever ago. But since the universe still has usable energy, like a car with gas in the tank, it must have had a beginning at some point in the past. But we're looking at some, something called some, some philosophical evidence. Those are, we look at two scientific evidences for creation to have a, a beginning, now we're looking at a philosophical one. Now this one, I need you guys, this is going, it's going to be kind of hard, maybe kind of over your head. You've been in school all day and your brain might be a little bit fried, but I need you guys to stay with me on this one, okay? It's going to have to have you guys use your imagination. I know for some of you guys, it may have been a while since you've had to think and use your imaginations, but I'm hoping you guys can handle it tonight. You got it? This was called infinite regress. Have you ever tried to count to infinity, anybody? Like when you were a kid? No? I don't know. Maybe you don't have a life. Remember, I grew up before cell phones, okay? So maybe I did try to do this, okay? Leave me alone. But of course, I remember counting as a kid, like, you know, 998, 999, infinity. Like, I would skip, right? And I would say I got to infinity. Of course, the number infinity, as we all know, is what? Not a real number. There's, there is no number that, like, we can't write a number. It has a symbol, but we can't write out a number that we can read other than the infinity symbol, correct? Okay, there is no last number. It just keeps going and going. Like for any number, how big you can think of, there's one after it. Always. For, forever. Now the same way you cannot count forward to positive infinity, 
You cannot count backwards to negative infinity. You got it? So you can't count all the way to positive, like 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to positive infinity. You can't count to negative infinity. Is this, you guys understand this? I think I'm Jackson. I think I may have lost you. You got this. Okay. Gavin, do you understand? Because it's infinity, but negative, like negative 1, negative 2. I went to Carver. All right. Here we go. Because you can never reach a first number since no number could, could exist, okay? So what does this crazy infinity talk have to do with the beginning of the universe? <coughs> Imagine a line of dominoes. This is where I need you guys to use your imagination. Imagine a line of dominoes. When I was a kid, we had a stupid amount of dominoes at my house. I don't know why. We never played dominoes once when I was growing up, but we had a bunch of dominoes. So I built little domino things where you push them over. Anybody ever do that? Or a Jenga block? Well, something. So imagine you have dominoes standing up forever, okay? You push the first one over. It knocks down the second one, which knocks down the third. And this continues until you toppled the last one. But now imagine you're at the end of an infinity-long line of dominoes. Let's work backwards from that. So you're at the very end of the infinity line of dominoes. Let's work all the way back to the beginning, okay? Before you can knock down that last one, you have to knock down the one before that, correct? Like you can't knock down the last one without knocking down the one before it. And you can't knock that one down without knocking the one before it down, right? All the way back. You keep going back forever and ever, past zero, past into negative infinity, and you never reach that first domino to begin to push, correct? Are you guys tracking with this a little bit? I want to make sure you guys understand. But so you can't, you can't go all the way down. You can't go back to the very beginning of negative infinity to push the very first domino to start all of these. Got it? Maybe? Okay. So we're going to let each domino represent a period of time. Let's just say one day. That sounds good. Before today, which would be the last domino, could arrive, yesterday must have occurred, correct? And before yesterday could pass, Monday would have had to have occurred, correct? Okay. The same way you can never topple the final domino in an infinitely long line, if there were an infinite number of days behind us, today never would have arrived. Yet here we are. Therefore, there must have been a first moment of time when the first domino was pushed to get it all started. You guys getting it? Jackson's got a headache. Maddox, I've lost Maddox. You have to, I'll draw you a picture later. Um, I can't, I'm not really going to draw a picture. I can't. I'm just kidding. But okay, so here's the deal. Alright, I'm going to try to explain it again for Maddox. Maddox, I need you to pay attention. You looking at me? Paying attention. Imagine a day is a domino. Okay? Today is today. You know, that's like the last domino. But of course, it could still go because we still have tomorrow. We don't know for certain, but it could go tomorrow, correct? Generally speaking, yes. And if we had it yesterday, that is a proven fact, correct? We had a day before that, right? Okay. We can't go all the way back day-wise to infinity because it's infinity. So there had to have been a domino one that we could literally put, like we could push over that started the calendar to get all the days moving. So there had to have been something to create 
that first domino, the first day to begin all the other days. Does that make sense? A little bit better? Maybe? I'm trying. It's 365 and a quarter days around the sun. I get it. It's fine. Just celebrate my birthday and be happy for me. Okay. So there must have been a first moment of time, an original domino to be pushed over and set the rest of these days in motion. And thus the problem of infinite regress shows the universe cannot be past infinite. The universe must have begun to exist at some point in time. So we have solid scientific and philosophical reasons to believe that the universe came into existence at some finite point in the past. So this leads us to our conclusion. Therefore, the universe has a cause. This logically follows from the first two premises. Now let's see what the cause of the universe could be like. Well, it must be pretty powerful to bring an entire universe into existence, right? That's some power. It must be pretty smart, too. It can be, couldn't be made up of any of the stuff of the universe, so it must be non-physical. Time began at the first moment of creation, so the cause of the universe would be timeless. <clears throat> and also this cause must be personal to choose to bring the universe and humans into existence. So here's the remarkable conclusion from this, those things. This cause is extremely powerful, super smart, immaterial, timeless, and personal. That sounds a lot like God, right? Everything that begins to exist needs a cause for its existence, and the best explanation for the beginning of the universe is God. Everybody say, hi to Mason. Of course, this argument doesn't take us all the way to the God of the Bible, right? But it rules out atheism as a plausible explanation since atheism has no sufficient cause for the origin of the universe. You missed some, You should have been here because I'm sure your brother didn't get the last section we talked about, and I'm probably going to need you to explain it to him at some point in time. It's called infinite regress. I'm sure you can pick it up like nothing. Yes, he's got it. Right, Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created. Well, I mean, just he created. He created everything. After all, there is, if there's a beginning to the universe, there must be a beginner. So really the second scientific argument for God's existence. It's called the fine-tuning argument. Imagine you're hiking through the mountains and discover an abandoned cabin. As you enter, you notice something unusual. What's your favorite food? He says, your favorite. Like, you should know this. It's your favorite. Spaghetti. Okay. Mom's spaghetti. It's already on your sweater. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Do y'all hear his new song with DJ Khaled? Have you heard that one? Our gospel. Have you heard that one yet? Uh, Eminem's song with... No, his, his one we did with his remix, talking about Jesus being his Savior. Came out, came out like three days ago. How come I know about this and you guys don't? What is the deal? I'm like an old person. I'm an old person. Came out like, came out like three or four days ago. That's, uh, Brandon, this is no longer a thing now. You know, we're not even a chance. No, I'm just kidding. All right, anyways. So you get there, and you open this cabinet, and Mom's Spaghetti is there on the table. What's your favorite um, movie? If you could, like, if you're flipping the channels, if you have a thing like that or whatever anymore, and there's a movie on, what movie would you always stop to watch? Top Gun, like the new one? Okay, so you get in there, Mom's Spaghetti's on the table, 
and Top Gun is playing on a nice big projector screen with surround sound. Okay, what's, what's your favorite like snack food? Popcorn. Okay, and there's a pop like just unlimited popcorn over there. And do you have like a favorite place to sit in your house or favorite nothing comfortable you like? So there's just, there's nothing to sit on. That's cool. That's fine. Um, Whatever. And so you get to this cabin, and for Braden, these things are right there inside the cabin. But think of it for you. Whatever your favorite movie is, your favorite TV show or whatever, or favorite food, whatever, you walk into this cabin in the, in the woods, and everything there is like all of your favorite things. And I'd be like, yes, that'd be so awesome, right? I would be excited. Yeah, anyways. So what conclusions would you draw? Like, this is kind of weird. Why is everything in this cabin, like, to my particular taste, right? Are they, like, looking at what I'm looking at? I'm, I'm like, yeah, should be looking at it. What? You know, what, what's going on? Yes. <clears throat> Maybe you shouldn't suck at putt putt. All right. But since random chance could never bring so many factors together, you would rather conclude that the cabin was prepared in advance with, with you in mind. If all of your favorite things were in this cabin, you would think this cabin was built for me. Similarly, the laws of nature appear to be prepared with humans in mind. In the 20th century, scientists discovered the existence of multiple physical laws that must each be just right for life to exist in the universe. These laws can be written <clears throat> as mathematical equations, and there are certain values in these equations that are fixed, which are known as constants. The values of these constants are so delicate that they were off by just the tiniest amount. Life would not be possible in the universe. And this is what is meant by the fine-tuning of the universe. So we're going to get one example. How many of us are familiar with gravity? Yes, all of us. Some of us fall down a little bit more, maybe a little bit more familiar. Vienna, I'm looking at you. What goes up must come down, right? If the gravitational constant had been a little weaker, stars and planets would never have been formed and so life would be impossible. If it were slightly stronger, the entire universe would have collapsed into itself after the Big Bang. And the gravitational constant is just one of many constants, constants that must be perfectly aligned to allow life in the universe. But why is the universe so finely tuned for life? I think there are three possible reasons. The first one is necessity. Did the constants of nature absolutely have to be the values that they are? Like, like you, have you guys studied like the tilt of the earth? And how if it was off just a little bit, like we would not be here, right? Patrick's shaking his head yes. Remember, he's a science teacher. He knows his stuff, I'm assuming. He does teach for MISD, so I don't know if he knows this stuff. I'm just kidding. He was there. He was old. He was there. So, I mean, the tilt of the earth is, is at a precise angle for what? For life to happen, for existence to happen. If the constants would have been any different, um, or if they were different, if, if the laws of nature would be different as well, which would make complex life like you and I impossible. And you have chance. Maybe just perhaps we've got this incredibly lucky and the constants just happen to be life permitting by chance. Chance we have won the, you know, could we have won the lottery? But the odds of this happening, of course, would be like having a sea of 
trillions and trillions of blue marbles are reaching down and picking up a red marble, right? The, the odds are not great. That is how delicately fine-tuned our universe is for life and how ridiculously improbable it is to occur by chance. So the third thing is, you know, if we rule out necessity and chance, then design is the only option left. The universe is fine-tuned for life because the divine intellect designed it that way. You know, God set the natural constant to permit life in his universe. So in other words, the fine-tuning of the universe best points to the existence of a fine-tuner. <clears throat> and of course, there are objections, and I think it's important for you and I to talk about these objections because they're going to come up when you talk to other people, you learn about these things in school. I've seen a minute and a half of God's not dead. I know what happens. But there's another reason that's probably more important. You don't, you don't need to fear these objections. God is not afraid of anyone's questions, and we don't need to be as well. You don't need to be able to win every argument you might have, but you can always treat others like Jesus did by loving them and not fearing them. So speak the truth with gentleness and respect. You don't need to be ready for verbal fisticuffs. You might know what fisticuffs is? Where you fight with your fist. You also box? Yeah. Fisticuffs. One word. Fisty. F-I-S-T-I-C-U-F-F-S. -F so the two popular objections. Number one is the anthropic principle. The word anthropic comes from the Greek word anthropos, which relates to human beings, you and I. The anthropic principle states that we shouldn't be surprised that we live in a finely tuned universe since if it weren't fine-tuned, we wouldn't be here to observe it. However, it still does not explain why the universe is fine-tuned for our existence. Imagine a man is set to be executed by firing squad. Okay. You got it? He gets the wall. Maddox does something bad. We're all going to shoot Maddox. Yeah. Huh? No, it's not. All right, I'm just kidding. All right. So, he's, Max is blindfolded against the wall. He hears the command. He hears gunshots. Kind of twitches a little bit, just, you know. But realizes very quickly that nothing has happened to him. Right? That's great. Right? But, you know, maybe he would say, well, I shouldn't be surprised that all the bullets missed because they didn't. I wouldn't be here to be surprised. That doesn't make it. No, he would think either the guns were, were loaded with blanks or they, they just really suck at shooting at him. One of the two options. Either way, he was intentionally kept alive. And there must be an explanation as to why he was not shot. And the same is true for the fine-tuning of the universe. The second one is getting more popular now with all those Marvel movies. Far from being just science fiction, some appeal to the multiverse theory to explain away fine-tuning. On this theory, the huge number, some would say infinite, of universes makes the likelihood of one being fine-tuned expected. We just happen to be living in one of those multiverses, universes that is equipped for fine-tuned you know, fine for, for living. And two quick responses can be given. First, the evidence for multiverse is lacking. There's some scientific evidence consistent with the multiverse, but at this stage it's just speculative, nothing proven. Second, and perhaps even more important, a multiverse would not rule out design. Let's say the Marvel movies are correct, and there really is the multiverse, right? Even if there is, it still leaves certain questions unanswered, like where does the multiverse come from? Why is there a multiverse that generates fine-tuned universes like the one we're in where we can live?
Essentially, the multiverse theory just pushes design up a level. Think about it this way. If you wanted to know why a car was designed, would it be sufficient to point, just go to a factory and point to the factory? Of course not. That's not sufficient. A factory helps in the explanation, but we still need an explanation for the design of the factory. It's so much more detailed than just pointing at the building. And the same is true for the multiverse. It doesn't explain design away, but really pushes it up a level. So the best explanation for the fine-tuning of the universe for life is that there is a God who designed the universe perfectly with us in mind. Again, the fine-tuning of the universe best points to the existence of a fine-tuner. Now we're going to move from considering the universe as a whole to the very microscopic level of DNA. We find design in the small realm just as we did in the larger structures of the universe. Because when Darwin first proposed his theory of evolution, scientists completely underestimated the complexity of life. You know, every cell of our bodies is like a tiny factory with biological machinery following routines and commands to keep us functioning. Much of the information for programming this biological machinery comes from, of course, our DNA. Simply put, DNA is our genetic code, our biological operating system. And the DNA in a single cell contains enough information to fill 8,000 books. A lot of information. So here's the bottom line. Whenever we see information and we know how that information arose, we always trace it back to a mind. For example, if you saw John Loves Mary written in the sand, you wouldn't think it came from like the oceans on the beach, right? Like it wouldn't just come from the oceans, the tide wouldn't roll up, and all of a sudden it washes away. You could see words written out, correct? We know this to be true. You would know that it was written by probably someone named John. Social media posts come from social media users. Books come from authors. Texts come from texters. Articles come from journalists. There was a mind behind these things. And even the staunchest atheist has to admit that there is no natural explanation for the origin of information in DNA. And yet we know that information comes from our mind. Isn't the existence of a designer the most reasonable explanation for the exquisite design we see in DNA? Simply put, the information in DNA points to the existence of an author of life. These are just three powerful arguments for a creator. Believe it or not, they're... There's a whole lot more than just those three. Science is not against faith, but when done properly, it confirms it. And this matters for how we view ourselves as part of God's creation. In Psalm 8, King David reflects on the wonder of God's concern for mankind and a lot of creation. He says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Given the vastness and complexity of the universe, David is in awe that God even cares about you and I. And yet God loves us. And David continues in Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. All right, so what does all this mean? I'm sure I'm looking at your faces. I've bored you out of your mind. Um, what does all this mean? You're, you are not a grand cosmic accident. The result of blind evolutionary processes. God designed the universe with us in mind. And created you specifically with care. Your life, each one of you, your life has purpose. Your life has value. 
The world we inhabit claims that our value comes from money or fame or influence or appearance. But God has a much different standard. Human value comes from the fact that we are made in the image of a perfectly good and all-knowing creator. If you ever feel worthless, just look around you at the mountains and the trees, the stars in the sky. And remember what King David said, that God who created all this deeply cares about you. That's just that's amazing. Uh, as I'm praying, we're going to have the two of y'all come up real quick. We'll get stuff. So it's hanging in a minute. Are you ready? Sure, why not? All right, let's pray. God, just thank you that you, you love us so much that despite all of the bigness and the things that you created in this universe, God, that you still choose to love us. You still choose to be mindful of you and I. God, we're just um, blown away by that. I mean, we just, even though tonight was a lot of just big scientific words and maybe some, some heady things that we don't quite understand, God, may we just begin to understand how truly great you are and how, how awesome you are and how much you, uh, um, you impact our lives, God. So, um, through the rest of the weeks we leave here just a little bit, may we just um, find ways to point people towards you. Hear my prayer. Amen. All right, we're going to... Uh